Hello and welcome back to another episode of Our Generation On Air. My name is Alex Bullimore and this week I'm joined by Dan Lambert. Hello. Hello, just Dan this week. No, uh, Everyone else presumably had better things to do. Uh, so we just have two games to talk about. Uh, the silencing of Millwall last night and then we will look forward to our game against Stoke on Saturday. Uh, so yeah, uh, first the match against Millwall, which means that QPR now unbeaten in six games when a change of monarch has taken place in Britain. What a stat that is, Dan. How important that is to uh, the general sort of feel around the club, obviously. And was it just a good game to enjoy yesterday? Yeah, it was a good game. Um a very unique stat. Um, I must admit, I did see that the other day, uh, especially after I think there was another stat about about being under the reign of the Queen. I can't remember off the top of my head, but um, there was a few few jokey bits about that. Obviously, with our with our name, um, but no. In terms of the game, great game, uh, first clean sheet of the season, and a good away one. Yeah, the other stat, well, kind of stat. I'm not sure how sort of. Um... I don't think that this is really a metric you can go off, but I think uh, Clive in his preview for the match mentioned that QPR always seem to win when there's like some sort of national tra- tragedy. So like we won after 9-11 and stuff like that. Oh. I beat in Port Vale and 4-0 or something. So, you know, obviously when the Queen passed away, of course QPR were going to go on and win because that's apparently the one thing that we can do. Um, anyway, team news. All the D's got left out, Dykes, Dazelle and Dickey, for various reasons. Uh, Dickey, we believe, injured. I don't know, has he come yeah, to talk ankle, about that? Yeah, ankle, ankle injury. Uh, Bill said after the game, he had to keep it under wraps. Uh, probably the first time he's done that so far at the club. Um, but I think he said that it's not too big of a worry because he'll be back soon. Lovely stuff. I guess if there's ever time to get an injury, it's one week for the international break where everyone's going to have a, a week off and when your other centre-back is on the verge of recovery. So, you know, if there was ever a time to pull up injured, it would be now. Uh, and because of that, Tim, Rogenbaum, Roberts and <laughs> Balogun all came into the side. Uh, so let's, let, let's talk, let's start with um, <clears throat> the two not debutants because they did feature against Swansea, both of them. But how did you think that the two new boys fared last night? Uh, I think both of them were were decent. I thought Balogun. Um, we start off with him. I thought he looked quite assured um, as a centre back. Um, obviously, I've I had no Rangers Rangers fan that I spoke to about him, and he said that he was quite decent in possession, quite mobile, and these had decent pace about him. Um, you, you definitely saw saw that kind of uh, skill set in him. I mean, in possession, there wasn't too much to to note really. I think he was decent carrying the ball um, from defence, bit bit like what Dicky does. Um, probably not the same in terms of ball progression, um, in terms of passing. Uh, but he looked comfortable. Um, don't really think Mill tested us that much all game. Um, so no. it's probably. It's probably tougher tests for him, but in terms of a debut, it was it was assured. I thought. Um, I think. Ter- go on, the, sorry. The other thing as well, it never felt like they were kind of 
they they weren't putting our back back four under pressure and it a lot they weren't they're not really a pressing side obviously so there wasn't going to be you're going to have time on the ball a lot a lot more than you might have in other games yeah yeah I'd say that they didn't I mean even even towards the second half they were going a bit more direct a few more long balls over the top and even those didn't I mean that they didn't have bundles of pace in their attack I think it was Fleming Bradshaw and I can't I can't I can't remember the name of the uh the other guy um but yeah, they didn't really have bundles of pace to threaten our back line. And I'd have I'd have been interested to see have we played more of a high line. But obviously we played more a bit more of a mid block last night and it kind of suited particularly Dunn, who I thought had a good game. Um and both of them looked looked quite assured. But in terms of um aerobinum, uh, I think that's how you say it correctly. I've been working on it. Um I thought it was it was a mixed mixed debut. I thought I thought he looked good physically for the for the level. Um, kind of did, he didn't really um, jump out of challenges or he looked quite tenacious in, in in his tackle. I thought the only thing for me he looked a bit. I don't know if it's just the way he plays, but he looks a bit lethargic about the way he does things. Um, maybe that's just his general body language. Um, and I'd have, I'd have liked to see him uh, progress the ball a bit more. I thought. We saw against Swansea a bit of a cameo. He, he looked quite good in his passing range, but um, I think that's that's something to work on. But I think what's interesting is he put him in a different role to probably what I'd suspect he plays long-term. I think he's more of a, a field type, someone that can sit in, kind of control the game from there and kind of maybe progress the ball here and there. Uh, but obviously he's playing in that Dezel role, the kind of right side eight. So it was an interesting debut, but I think there's... There's probably a lot more to come from him, I think. Yeah, I wasn't sort of overly impressed with the, the boy from Villa. I think there's, you know, obvious. Um, he's still got to learn a hell of a lot. Otherwise, he wouldn't be on loan with us. You know, Aston Villa would probably be having him coming off the bench more often than not in games if he was any more closer to a finished article than what he is right now. So, um I wasn't sort. It wasn't. I'm not saying like it was worrying or anything like that. I just don't think it was sort of like a performance that really wowed me or anything. Um, the the centre backs, yeah, I thought they were pretty decent. There's been a case made online and Twitter for in that sort of game, you would need someone a bit more like Dunn and Balogun rather than Dickie and. Uh, Clark Salter. I mean, I haven't actually seen much of Clark Salter play, but I don't feel like that's as much of a valid sort of point that we can make about our backline anymore, considering, you know, in the past it was probably someone like Grant Hall or Johan Barbe. Players, that, yeah, you know, Barbe in particular, maybe towards the end of his career of QPR was a lot tougher and a lot more physical, but at the start he said, you know, he's not there to head balls away, he's there to sort of pass out from the back and stuff like that. Dickie's not soft when it comes to competing in the air and I can't imagine that Clark Salter is either. No, I would agree on that. Um I think I think you've got to be careful with rotating your centre backs too much as well because what well, that's our first clean sheet granted and I don't we've had what three centre back partnerships already. Not saying that's the that's the that's well, the only, case for it's only been there's been one sort of centre-back partnership that's run throughout the season so far. That's Dunn and Dickey. Dunn and Dickey, yeah, yeah. JCS and uh, Dickey had one yeah, game. First, first game, Blackburn, and yeah. And now we've got Dickey and Balligan, so, you know. Yeah, I just think 
I just think on the on the point of rotating your centre backs, I think it's fine at times, but I think that's kind of a area of the pitch where you want solidity and you want like a solid partnership that you can you can have faith in. Obviously, it's great we got competition in that area and we have got depth, but um, I think at times you need you do need two centre backs that know each other very well and that can can play at a consistent rate for for the season. Obviously, there's the doubts of injuries with a lot of them. Um, But I think once we see, I think Clark's sort of coming in, providing that left-sided balance. Obviously, it's not, it's not like a super necessary thing to have, but I think we saw in the first game, uh, building out from the back was a lot cleaner. Even he's a lot more mobile than the majority of our centre-backs as well. So, I think um, I think that we have a blend of centre backs, but I think we've got to be careful how much we rotate them for me. Yeah, and it wasn't Clark Salter his the fi- the first signing this summer. Yeah, yeah, I believe so, uh, and one you that know, one that Bill really likes. Yeah, so as much as um, you know, it could that could just be down to someone was available that sort of fit within what we wanted, but you don't go and make your first signing of the summer. Usually, the first sign of summer is a real important target, isn't it? It's someone that you desperately want. It's not a squad player, um, and I'd expect him to come back into the side. Maybe not for the Stoke game, because I don't think. Yeah, he's... I think that might be a bit too early. But I think yeah. Bristol City are definitely ready, and I think he'll be in there for me. Yeah. Um. So let's move forward then from the sort of team selection and that. Uh, and move on to two more sort of newish signings, uh, the fullbacks, because they were brilliant yet again. Um, Dan, is this what it's like to have good fullbacks? Because I actually really like it. Yeah, it, it was. It, I mean, it was very good. Um, Power in particular, obviously, I, I don't really want to single out either of them because they were both great. But Power, I thought, definitely his best performance of the season by far. Um, Mill was swinging a lot of ball, um, crosses in the first and second half. And he was just getting on the end of them. I mean, I don't know how, I can't remember how tall he is, but he's, he, I think he's one of the smallest players on the pitch. And he was, he was winning them, flicking them on, uh, tenacious in the tackles. Um, didn't really go forward as much because um, obviously on the other side, Lev was quite, quite high, but um, I was really impressed with Powell. And then Led uh, in both boxes as well. The defensive, defensive, um, our own box, he made that clearance towards the end of the game. Um, that could have been a decisive moment potentially, and he's just so good going forward. I mean, I've said this before. I don't know how how we quite managed to secure him, but it's probably up there with our signing of the of the summer for me. Absolutely. I mean, Laird is just a ridiculous talent. I just mm. turned around to my dad last night when we were watching the game and just like he shouldn't be playing for us. Like it's actually no, no. it's ridiculous that he is. Uh, and I don't want Man United to realise because there are a lot. I feel like. Uh, with Ten Hag there, they're a lot more, they're getting closer to being well, well run ever so slightly, like sort of moving in the right sort of direction. And I'm not, I don't know. I can't say whether for sure he would be in his plans or not. I know he, I think he went on tour, preseason tour with them and he's had Europa League minutes. So obviously someone that is relatively highly thought of there. Uh, Otherwise they would have probably got rid of him last season on a permanent basis basis after that sort of disastrous Bournemouth loan um, but my god I hope they don't realise what they've done in giving him to us and they just let him stay at Loftus Road for the season because if he does there's you know 
I don't want to slag off Kakai, but the drop down in quality between them two. I mean, it's, you know, huge. it's huge. Kakai is arguably bottom end championship player. You've got a potential Premier League player starting for us. Well, not uh, even that. There's just there's just a massive. I've said this before. It's a massive. As much, regardless of quality, Kakai does not suit the system as much as Ethan led. And you've got a player that, I don't know, is average at the level in a system that doesn't really suit him. You're not going to be a, you're not going to stand out in in, in our side. Um, Led's brilliant. I think, I can't see, I don't want to jinx it, but I can't see him being recalled for the for the sake of his development because it makes no sense. He's playing games. Um, he can go on to get easily 10 plus assists, in my opinion. Um hmm. Oh uh, yeah, I was I was surprised no one I think Watford were after him. I, was, I wasn't I was surprised that no one in the top end of the championship um Dan, for Dan, going to Dan, we are in the top end of the championship. No, yeah, but like no? right, <laughs> fight, teams fighting for the top two. I was surprised they didn't go in for him. Um but no, I think I think we just gotta enjoy him while we can because it, by the end of the season he's not unfortunately he's not gonna be our player. Yeah, I mean, look, we were looking at it last season, and unfortunately, he had a lot of injuries. But we looked at sort of someone like Sam McCallum, and just thought like we we've got him for a season, and we're going to enjoy it. And he he was obviously a very good player, but again, the difference between McCallum and Laird again is just is something else. Uh, so delighted that we've got him. Another fantastic performance from both of the fullbacks ticked off. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you said about Powell tenacious is absolutely the right word because every question that was asked of him he answered it no problem uh in a game that perhaps you know in the past someone of that size or just you wouldn't fancy them basically you would be thinking of someone more of like lee wallace who probably played for us last season in that position in that game would have been better suited to that game but Powell, you know being the modern fullback just was fantastic yesterday and uh Long may that continue. Whilst we've mentioned it a few times, let's just uh, touch on it a little bit more. Millwall uh, obviously tried to go a lot more direct, long ball, but their passing last night in general was just atrocious. They couldn't string a pass together really a lot of the time. When they tried to switch to play, when they tried any sort of long ball, most of the time it went out for a corner, not a goal kick, go out for a throw-in or something like that. It was, you know, like, the clearly aside, not creating much, uh, missing a player who obviously was quite a few steps above him in uh, Jed Wallace. And they just weren't very good, were they? It was just a, a very boring team to watch, and I can't believe that there's some sort of people suggesting they might be sort of outside playoff contenders. Yeah, I think I, I had I probably had Mill down this season as probably realistically mid mid table i thought um the, the like you say the loss of jeb wallace was a big one i was surprised slightly by their performance i thought in the 11 they had enough ball players to kind of string passes together i mean you look at callum styles he's always impressed me uh whenever we played him i think they had was it george it was savile in the midfield wasn't it um they brought they on had, honeyman in the second half yeah they brought on honeyman i thought I thought their their best player was probably Fleming for me. I thought he was. Um, I mean, he had the chance at the end where he hit the crossbar. Um, they didn't really have any standouts, like you say. But I thought the game as a whole, it was quite the first half particularly. It was quite fast. It played at a fast tempo, uh, and it was quite chaotic at times in the middle of the park. Um, a bit from our a, a bit from our end, but 
I thought majority from from their side. Um, but yeah, they they didn't really test us, and like we said last week, they lack goals badly. Um, you don't look at their team and think they're gonna probably put more than more than one or two past past your side, if if that. Right. Well, you know the the segues are just working perfectly here. You say they can't score goals, we can, fortunately. Uh, well, some of our players can. Let's start with Chris Willock again. He kind of pops up with this in not I wouldn't say incredible strike, but a very good and tidy finish from the edge of the box. Um, I don't want to get sort of two football cliches here, but an incredible strike has to leave the ground for me. It, it didn't get off the ground. It was a very it was a placed finish, wasn't it? This wasn't a, yeah. this wasn't a a wonder strike. This wasn't a screamer. It can't be a screamer because it didn't get off the ground. No, no, no. It was definitely that. I thought that was that was quite uh, that was a bit of finesse on the strike because it it kind of bent round the <clears throat> bent round the uh, the keeper slightly and into the bottom bottom right hand corner. I thought the goal the finish was good, but I thought the build up play before that was uh, excellent for me. Um, obviously, it came right. It went around a lot of the, a lot of our players, but I thought there was a moment where Johansson dropped as like one of the wide centre mids into that full back area. And then he he kind of makes an out swim run to kind of draw draw Millwall inside, and that allows Powell to kind of receive, play it to to Tyler Roberts, who kind of like to drop out all game, um, and then that kind of started it. And then obviously, it plays to chair chair plays to Willock, and then he lets it roll across his body. So it was a good goal from from general build up to be fair, um, and the finish finish tops it off, and that kind of got us going. I felt. I mean, we played. We played pretty decently majority of the game, but I thought, thought after that game, we kind of got up got up for the game a little bit more, I thought, and that's, it helped us in the end. Yeah, um, a very tidy finish in the end. But what do you think about his whole sort of performance across the, it wasn't 90 minutes, I can't remember how long he exactly played, but I never thought that he was sort of involved in, in the game too much. Uh, Is this Willock? Yeah. To be honest, yeah. like if he keeps on putting in these performances where maybe he's not involved in the game a lot, but then has these moments of quality. We have kind of saw this sort of, uh, to a certain extent, chair doing the same thing a few earlier, two games earlier in the season. You know, Sunderland in particular, he wasn't brilliant, but then he comes up with a free kick and the cross uh, to drag us back into that game. Um, but Willock just... He's there and he's scoring goals. He's got scoring goals that will get him noticed, which in the long run is good for the club. Um, and he's just he's winning us games, but not sort of. He's not driving us on. It's chair that's driving us on at the moment. No, I'd agree. I'd agree. I thought I was. Um, I was speaking to my mates uh, beside me at the game. Um, we were saying that Willock was a bit off the pace. Looked a little bit off the pace um, yesterday compared to what we know him to be. Um, obviously, like you say, he pops up with the moment. So I thought he looked he looked all right with um, physically for the test. He looked like he was able to hold hold players off with the ball. But I don't know. He didn't really look to to change the direction of the game at, at times. He kind of kind of slowed it down, and then that allowed them to get men behind the ball. And as we know, when they sit deep and defend, that's probably when Mill were are at their best. Um, but no, him him and Chair uh, pop up in the right moments and. You look at the game; it was fairly even, both both sides in terms of chances uh, created, um, but we kind of took it with the two key moments, um, and that hasn't really been what we've been about this season. We've kind of rude these missed chances, but um, it's nice to see it fall our way. 
And let's look at the second goal then. And this is, for me, this goal was a hell of a lot more satisfying than another goal from the edge of the box. Because this, I hope, means that they're, you know, really working on stuff on the training ground. There's a, a smartness there. There's an awareness. It's just, it's just really nicely done, isn't it? The part mm. chairs awake to the situation. They draw the the uh, man across to place Stefan on side, and he's in the right place, and he coolly slots it away. I mean, you know, the, the, there's just panic from Millwall. There's one guy that goes sliding across, and he's still in all that chaos. Finds a bottom corner on the oh, other yeah. side of the goal. The, it's it's a fantastic composer. finish, and it's a fantastic mm. goal. Yeah, the composure from Johansson um, was great. I mean, I'll, I'd be interested to know how much they worked on that set, specific set piece. I think as much as you can work on it, I think Che used his common sense, but basically they were, they were so unsettled. Uh, they were wandering back into position um, that he kind of um, pounced at the opportunity. Um, I don't think it was a sort of specific move targeted no, 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 at no, no, Millwall, no. is it? I know you're saying, it, no. it must be a sort of like... They get him on the training ground and they sort of say, right, in this sort of situation where you've got that you're there one nil down, perhaps, um, and they're not quite aware to what's happening, you need to be looking to do this. You need to be yeah. looking to do that. It's more of a sort oh, no, of no, I'd, generic I'd thing agree. that you can use against all teams, isn't it? Yeah, no, I'd agree. I think, I think hopefully that puts a little bit of not criticism, but uh, the set piece coach is, mm, he isn't, I don't want to say criticism, but. There's been a little bit of kind of jokes around, around is he actually doing stuff? I've seen people say, you know, we're not actually scoring many, many at the minute from set pieces, but I think we've, we're still up there with, in terms of um, the most goals scored in the, in the league from, from attacking set pieces. Um, I think even, even without that goal, you see, you see some of the set routines and how we frequently we change it up. We look, we look a much dangerous team from, from set pieces, but, in that specific moment, it's, it was nice to see us um, kind of take advantage of of Mill's Mill's unsettled uh, unsettled defence, and it was a great a great finish, like you say. A word then on the sort of general form of Stefan Johansson. He's been a different player to the one we saw at the back end of last season, and you know, just proving what what a good player he really is, even at this age. Yeah, we can see um, some players sort of go. You know, understandably, you get to a certain age and your performances start to drop off. But his intensity and how long he can carry it on throughout the season is going to be a question and, and important. But his intensity is really impressive at the moment. Yeah, and I think I think that probably helps with the change in role between him and Field. Obviously, now Field start of the season was more of a, more of an eight, now he's a six, and then roles reversed with Johansson. Um, he, I mean, uh, the whole game kind of epitomised his um, off-the-ball work when he set up the two goals with the turnovers. Um, and like you said yesterday, um, he showed his energy. I think I think it also helps compared to last season. He's playing in a midfield three rather than a two, which is a lot less leg work for him. Um, and as much as people were easily slating him off, I don't think people took into context the difference in the system that he's playing now than he did last year. Um, I don't think great respect, he was asked to do a lot in that midfield too because Field just didn't Field tackled and won the ball back and that's obviously very important and you need that but it wasn't like Field was then really progressive with the ball he was sort of 
you have to give no. them to your Hansen. And there was a slight flaw there within the two because but, you needed both but, of them to tap, sort of chip in and help each other. Oh yeah, and that I think that's. I mean, not everyone thinks like that, but you've got you've got to take the context behind reasons reasons players don't don't do well in certain situations. And I think he was such an easy scapegoat last year. We even said it the whole of last season that we weren't we weren't saying he's brilliant, but we we were easily um, we weren't his worst critics by by far. We we kind of backed him at points. Um, but no, I think it's it's great to see him playing well. Um, only it can only be good for his confidence and as he's the captain, it's kind of, yeah, he can breed that confidence, if you like. Yeah, and he's getting into the sort of situations where he was, you know, getting closer and closer to scoring. Obviously, he got, he was, he got the toe end of his boot on the ball across for a domer uh, against Watford, which it, very, yeah. cl- very clearly, nearly uh, became his goal. Um, Ethan Laird's goal against Hull could have quite easily been his is what uh goal as well, making those sort of late-ish runs into the box. Uh, he's, he's an intelligent footballer. People don't realise that. Yeah, he's won, he's won countless championships of Fulham. He's played for Celtic. He, I think he's played in Europe. He's not. He's not. He's not an idiot. Um, yeah. He, yeah. He you know he knows what he's doing, and I'm sure he's one of the one of the more intelligent players, um, and experience-wise as well, um, in our squad. So he knows what he's doing, um, and he'll take anything on board from from what Bill wants him to do. Yeah. So let's have a look then at. A topic that I know you're gonna love, uh, and it was brought up by Bill in, I can't quite remember what press conference it was, but the fact that XG for us is quite low oh. per game. So yeah, you know, we've got this good start to the season, and of course we're delighted to be in the position that we are. We're very close to the playoffs on points and stuff like that, and we've got positive goal difference. Yeah, fantastic. Problem is. Most of our goals have come from the edge of the box, outside the box. You know, very good finishes, fantastic moments in the moment, but uh, something that isn't achievable across such a long season. Eventually, that is going to uh, fade away and it, because it's a hard thing to do, isn't it? You can't purely score goals like that. So what what is the problem that you think we have at the moment with scoring the slightly more, I don't know, the slightly more boring goals than, uh, you know, trying to create something or just trying to create more. I don't know. Like what, what is the problem with the low XG and how can we solve that? Well, I think the question mark, I mean, XG, uh, I, I like it. It definitely has its flaws. Um, I'll put that in before I, before I answer the question, but I think it, it just, it just generally gives you a, a, a sense of the quality of chance you're created because anyone can say we've created we've we've had 12 shots three on target well what does that mean because the three on target could be three pot shots from 40 yards um so it kind of gives you a an, um, a probability of the the chance you score and from a from a certain location but um obviously a lot of our goals like the whole game willock and chess scoring scoring uh worldies um even Sunderland, it was a direct free kick and then set Dieng off a corner. I don't think that's going to happen very often on Dieng's part. Um, but it's it just, over a season, it, for me, it'd be unsustainable on the basis that regardless of how much form Cher and Willock are on, their finishing over their career is not going to be 
like it, it's not prolific, is it? You don't you don't consider Cherry and Willett prolific finishes. I think well, there was a stat. attacking midfielders just rarely get that many goals. Like they'll yeah. lay on quite a few, but they won't score many themselves. That's true. They won't score um, the same quality of or quantity of goals as a striker would. I think I think I saw someone say on Twitter the, uh, yesterday that um, Willett scored all of a hundred percent shot conversion rate. Uh, I don't. I, I'd need to double check that, but that 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 in itself does not is not going to continue over the course of the season. He's not going to be putting away every single shot he's taken, uh, or at least if it was in the high nineties or whatever, that wouldn't that wouldn't carry on over a season. So I think there will be some sort of regression. Um, that's going to be natural, but um, I think in general, I think the the flip side to the XG argument is that they take the games against Rotherham. I think Blackpool. Uh, Ethan Laird got in some decent positions, attacked the byline and then kind of cut it back. But because I no don't one have got the, the XG end. for Black Blackpool. Oh no, wait, I do. Blackpool 0.81 XG rather that, than 1.06. In terms, of, in terms of, of that, 90 though, minutes. The um when Laird produced a lot of those cutbacks, no one got on the end of them. So and if no one gets on the end of them, the XG isn't recorded. So you could argue that if Dykes or whoever got on the end of that and the keeper saved it or whatever, the XG would be a lot higher. So there's a, there's a lot of the pros and cons to um, the whole XG argument. But I just think in general, we need to be creating better chances. The quantity is all right for me. We're creating like on average, probably about 13, 14 at least. Um, but it's just the quality because a lot of the games with the XG compared to the amount of chances we're creating is low. Yeah. Um, I, we've mentioned it many a time in the past that, we can play some lovely football into the sort of final third, but so many times does the cross go wrong, uh, regardless of who's putting the cross in. Um, so that's obviously a big issue with you know, with any sort of XG as well, because like you said, if the ball doesn't actually land at a striker's feet or someone's feet and it doesn't go, if the shot doesn't happen, then the XG isn't registered. The other thing then to ask about this would be, you know, you've got Dykes who's been in uh, bad form at the moment and then you've got Roberts who's come in and played in an attacking role last night, but he didn't, he drifted wide quite a bit. He didn't stay as a striker the whole time, which is, I guess, to be understood as that's kind of his, the way he plays. He's more of a sort of, uh, chair slash Willock role of player rather than an out-and-out striker. He's just going to stay down the middle. And of course, you know, him being out wide did contribute to the first the goal. Yeah, the goal. But his finishing in the first half, he had a clear chance and he managed to send it wide, um, which really it should have been 1-0. I'm not saying that Dykes scores that, but I'm certainly saying no, that if Dykes misses that, then he would be crucified. Mm. Uh, at least there'd be cause for crucifixion. You know, that that is an issue as well, surely. If if Dykes isn't going to be scoring goals, then we, we aren't going to end up... Because he's going to play again as our striker at some point throughout the season. And he's going to start yeah, the, games. The number nine, that, that's an issue in itself. Um, and that's probably where the whole conversation gets a little bit overcomplicated. Um yeah, I, you got. I think. I think the thing is, the argument for me is, we create better quality chances, and more of them, the more 
the problem the bigger bigger probability the likes of Dykes and Roberts are going to be able to score these chances rather than giving me giving them I don't know a low quality chance and expecting them to produce a miracle. Um, I just I, I just think that we have we know, we all know we haven't got clinical strikers and to get a clinical striker you have to pay um, in excess of what loads of millions of pounds. So I think the the, the better we create these chances, the more chance that uh, our, our strikers can finish them. Uh, obviously, it's not always going to work like that, but um, it, it can be at times a game of probability for me. Yeah. Well, regardless, it was a thoroughly enjoyable experience to actually watch us win uh, away at Millwall. Such a, it's normally a place where I assume that we lose or draw one all. I think I've been there once and I think we drew to all in the season that we went up via the playoffs. So, uh, yeah, um, I hated watching it on the TV. Not the game, just hated having to see Millwall. Um, but apart from that, a thoroughly enjoyable experience. Right then, uh, now that we've dissected everything from Millwall, let's move on to the last game before the international break. Stoke at home. It has been confirmed. It's going ahead. Thank God for that. Otherwise, we really would have been in trouble. Uh, obviously, they've recently sacked Michael O'Neill to take Alex Neal from Sunderland, uh, which, you know, of course, is a move that went down well up in Sunderland. Uh, adding to the irony, it was a defeat to Sunderland that sealed Michael O'Neill's fate. Uh, it was a two, I think a one nil loss or something like that. Um, but since the change, they've only lost once in four games, losing 2-1 to Reading. And, you know, I keep seeing Reading popping up on the uh, fixtures of teams that we've been playing. And I'm, they're a real enigma for me, Reading, because they've been thrashed a couple of times and yet they're still up there and they're still beating teams. Um, the real, And then obviously last night they lost 3-0. To Sunderland. Yeah, I think so. I think when I we saw don't want to make this too much about last. Reading, but they are a bit weird, aren't they? Yeah, I saw I saw them the week before last, and I think they were second in the league, but they had neg- uh, a, a negative goal difference because they lost two times four nil, like you said, but they've won like by one goal each game. Um, in terms of Stoke, though, I think it was a very good appointment, Alex. Now, uh, I, I quite like him as a manager. He's tactically flexible. Um, I caught the the Reading game. Uh, it, was, it was two weeks ago, wasn't it? Um, a bit of a weird game. Um, they've got a lot of injuries at the minute. Uh, so he's, ha- he, I mean, he's playing a, a kind of aggressive back three system. But I think they had Jacob Brown, who's normally known for being a centre forward. Um, he was playing like right wing back. Um, they've got a lot, of, a lot of key players out. Obviously, Harry Suter's got a long term injury. Um, but no, they they won three 0 the on in the week against Hull, I think it was. Um, and from his, I think I, I listened to his press conference and he said it was a it was a good performance and that's kind of what he's what he wants them to be. If so you know, you know what an Alex Neil kind of side wants to be is aggressive, front footed. Um, we saw against Sunderland, uh, he pretty much scored us in the first half. Obviously, we had injuries and in that, but I thought tactically they got he got the game spot on. Um, and if it wasn't for two bits of quality in the final five minutes, they could have easily won. I thought um, it's going to be a tough game, but um, we, we've got a bit of confidence after the win, so it should be a good game. 
So yeah, I guess this is a different sort of QPR that's going to be facing um, them to the side that faced Sunderland uh, when he was there. But with everything that's happened since then, obviously, you know, he's changed jobs. Would you give us a better chance of bettering him this time? Or do you reckon that he's going to execute his tactics well again? Yeah, I think we've got a slightly better chance in the sense that they got a lot of injuries and personnel wise, he's kind of been forced to I say been forced to hand, he chose to take the job, but he's kind of been he either came in, I think it was a couple of days before the window ended. Uh he hasn't really had a chance to bring in his players and I think they've got I mean, Aidan Flint is their centre for example. Very good area really, and I'm sure we'll touch on it in a minute. They've scored three goals from set pieces in the last two games. Uh one of which the Reading goal, they used him quite well as a threat. But in terms of build up and kind of mobility, really lacks in that sense. He's he's a very typical championship centre half for his aerial dominance, but they've got players in there kind of square pegs and round holes, if that makes sense. I mean, if you look at that Sunderland side, we played Jack Clark, Stuart, Ellis Sims, uh, Pritchard. It's a very good side for this division, in my opinion. Um, and I think I think this Stoke squad is slightly worse um, than that, but they might have the the bounce of a new manager and a, a win in midweek. Yeah, uh, another good win. 3-0 uh, against Hull, which, you know, prior to the game that they played us, Hull were looking a decent side on a decent run. So, you know, that's another good win for them. Um, I have to confess, I had a look at their uh, top goal scorers and I didn't really recognise many of the names. I know you got DiMaggio Wright-Phillips there, which is a recognisable name because of... Mm. Uh, two reasons, and then you've also got um, the boy you've just mentioned. He's playing at right wing back, Jacob Brown. Right. Jacob Brown. There you yeah, go. they got they got uh, a lot who... of strikers in that squad. They got Liam Delap, who's come from City. Obviously, the links. Dwight Gale, well known for being a prolific scorer at this level, but didn't really have game time for two years, so he might be a little bit rusty at this level. Um, yeah, they've got they've got quite a lot of attacking players. Uh, I like Lewis Baker from. Um, he was at Chelsea for a long, long time um, in their puppy farm, as Nick London called it. Um, he's a good player, and uh, I like Josh Timon as well. So they've got some, they've got some decent quality, and uh, like I said before, Alex Neal's a good tactician at this level. So I won't put it past him to kind of do one on us. But I think going into this game, we should have a real opportunity at, especially that that back three. I don't really rate their back three all too much. Um, I think we can we can have a go at them. Uh, Dwight Gale, there is there a more sort of he does a good job sort of striker out there, like or he would do a good job for us sort of striker. I, I mean, know. I haven't. I, admittedly, I haven't watched him at all this season. I haven't watched him for years, to be honest. Um, I think was it West? It must have been like West Brom. He's like on loan yeah. his last season scoring. I think it was like twenty. It was under Darren Moore. Um, no, yeah. I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. Um, uh, I mean, n- now we're saying this, it wouldn't surprise me if he uh, scored on the weekend. But um, we've got we. Could, I'm sure we can nullify him. I don't. I'm sure he'd lost. He's lost a bit of pace um, since since he was kind of firing on all cylinders. But be interesting to see him. So then, what would you do from our point of view? Would you keep the same eleven, or would you tinker ever so slightly? 
I was thinking about this earlier because I was tempted to just easily say we should keep it unchanged, but we saw recently that I know it was different in terms of three games in a row, but fatigue was a big thing uh, or, or a factor. I think I wouldn't be against keeping keeping the same eleven, but I think at the same time you might look to to maybe freshen up a little bit. You look at Balogun and Roberts. I know there's an international break coming, but can we be sure that they can they're match fit enough to play at least another six go again and play another sixty minimum? Um I suppose the midfield you could freshen up. I think I think the thing obviously there's power, isn't there? Is he got has he got cramp? Or did he have um I'm, I'm not quite sure. He just kind of went off like very late on in the game. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I think he might make one or two changes. I think he might learn from that Swansea game where I think he held his hands up and said he kind of went a little bit too far with another unchanged side. But I think the also you got is, though that Swansea game was preluded by the Hull match, wasn't it? Yeah, and yeah, Hull was. It was, it was a very intense performance from us. There was a lot of, a lot more sort of energy. They didn't not saying that they had they could they just walked it into the back of the net last night, but it didn't apart from the opening salvo of the game, there wasn't much it, it wasn't a really energetic match, was it? It wasn't like chair was all over the place pressing, or maybe it was, maybe it's something that you can pick up a lot easier in the stadium, but sort of it just didn't feel like there was as much going on. I know what you're saying. I think I think parts of it was quick, the game. I think the fullbacks um probably exerted the most energy in terms of getting up and down because uh well led well power after yet I think he went down with cramp so you can kind of understand why he did because uh, he was up and down same with Laird I just don't know I think also in this division you've also got to, as well as what managed the the fatigue levels you've got to react to your opposition I think I remember doing the piece on the Sunderland game and an Alex Neil side likes to like mark you man for man all over the pitch and in those kind of situations, you need a you need a team that's athletic and uh, can run for for ninety minutes uh, tracking a man, and also kind of have a ball have the ball playing ability to kind of break those those marking movements if that makes sense. So you, I'm trying to think of a game. I think it might have been last season. Sheffield United man marked us, and it was it was only Chair who was kind of creating the space and movement. We kind of need those kind of players, like maybe like a. I'd say a Dazelle, but then does he really have the physical capabilities to keep up for 90 minutes? Um, so it'd be interesting to see. Um, I think he's going to definitely stick with the majority, maybe change one or two, but I'd be surprised if he changed more than two. Right. Is there anything else that you wanted to mention about Stoke before we sign off for this evening? Mm, don't think so. No, don't think so. Um Actually, no. The the one the one last thing would be, I'd be interested to see if um, Stoke kind of press us quite high. Uh, obviously, we haven't really got the choice with centre backs, but Balogun looks decent in possession. Dunn isn't great in possession, like we saw against Swansea. Whether they kind of manipulate those two a little bit more compared to what Mill did, um, but that's the only other real real thing I have to say. Okay, yeah. Uh, so with that, brings to. And end another Our Generation on Air podcast. Uh, this week, uh, Sam Taylor, I believe, is writing the column for us in the program. So if you want to, please give that a go and uh, go and purchase that from one of the uh, vendors around the ground. 
we don't have any other stuff to plug, do we? No, not no, not as far as I'm aware. No. Um yeah, so that's it for this week's podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Uh you can follow both of us on Twitter. You can follow our generation on that on Twitter. You can subscribe to the podcast uh through whatever platform it is you're listening to us on right now. Uh, you can also subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is Our Generation on Air. All the episodes go up there and maybe a few other things if you keep an eye on it and subscribe and stuff. Uh, so, yeah, definitely keep an eye on your feeds throughout the international break because even though there isn't anything to talk about, we're not necessarily going to be quiet. So there is going to be something hopefully going up on there very soon. So um, thank you very much for listening once again. And until next time, come on, you ask.